The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by all three of my fine co-hosts. Nate Heininger. Laura Nash. And your bro-host, Shane Kelly. And this week, we are talking about a a, a little game for iOS and Android called Knights of San Francisco uh, from eGame Book, the system, I think, and the developer is called Rain Rain Dead. Did I get that right? I maybe I should pull up the page before I start spouting <laughs> names. Let me take this bit again. Um, um, actually, let me take my intro again because I really like it when you call me your bro host, but when I call myself your bro host, it sounds really weird to me. No, to I me it's why. fun when you say like your bro too. host because it sounds like you're everyone's brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> like as if the, you're my, like my the brother. Bro host. <laughs> I like to think of Shane as a brother. Well, thank you. Brother to <laughs> all. am I a bro? <laughs> the bro. Um, yeah, you're yeah. just a bro. Philip. Don't bro me if you don't know me, some will say. <laughs> and this week, we are talking about Knights of San Francisco, uh, which is an iOS and Android interactive fiction game uh, from a developer we've talked about before in the context of IF Comp. This is from uh, Philip Hrachek. Uh, and his new development studio, which uh, he has called Rain Dead Games. And uh, this is the first commercial release using his system that he's developed called eGameBook, which you can find at eGameBook.com. Uh, and uh, I, I was really excited to play this because I remember several years ago, and I have to double check, I think it was the 2017 or 18 comp. Does anybody know? We'll find out, and I'll tell you yeah, in a minute. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, so a long time ago, uh, but I, I, I literally thought it was last year until I checked and realized it has it been a while. Seven. Yeah, yeah. We've been doing these uh, IF comp reviews for how long now? About five years. So mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of different developers in that time. And what is it's cool when we get to see someone take a concept from something they were working on at that kind of stage. And then make it into a more commercial product like this, which, you know, it, it's niche, but it's very cool. It is very cool. So so to uh, to retread a little bit about the uh, eGameBook system that's used here, um, Insignificant Little Vermin, which was uh, which premiered in IF Comp a few years ago, um, was a, the premiere of his new interactive fiction authoring system that he calls eGameBook, uh, which is inspired by the sort of uh, very... Uh, the more complex game books of the past. So something I haven't actually really played any of these. I don't know if any of you guys have, but the sort of uh, things that were designed to function basically as single player RPGs that were kind of like a RPG supplement designed for, for single player play that had uh, rules to follow for maintaining a character sheet and your stats. Um, and, but, you know, would have sort of a book full of scripted combat encounters for you to go through that sort of thing. Sheena, have you ever played any of these? I have played a few of these. The The first one that I played, um, I played very wrong, uh, but it's a very unique and interesting one. Uh, it's this pair of game books that represent a two player, um, cow, you know, cowboy style gunfight. Oh, um, 
Yeah, so that one is one I, I'd love to play with that with either of you guys at some point. It's it's a really neat little pair of books where the goal is to just sort of you're basically it plays out kind of like battleship. You're calling out like what you're seeing to the other player and then taking a move um, until someone you know sees someone else and there's sort of facing rules as well. So it's kind of a and then it's kind of a gunfight. So that's one game book that was pretty odd, but it it represents this kind of attempt to simulate combat that is kind of typical of this kind of game book. And then the other thing that we've played is sorcery. If you yeah. I think we covered that on some episodes, right? So I think, I don't think we've ever done a full Steve episode Jackson on it. But we've it's way too about long. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's way too long for us. It's a whole series. There's like four of them and each one is much longer than we would usually cover. Music is great. Yeah. It, sorcery is really cool. Um sorcery is the original Steve Jackson kind of publishing that did uh, GURPS, a, uh, a a tabletop role-playing game that Reagan and I have a lot of experience with because I subjected all my friends to weird games of like oddball GURPS uh, world-building experiments when I was in like my teens. By the way, if you guys are looking for those, uh, they are, they're on iPad. They're very popular. And I think they were the first big releases from Inkle, who later went on to do yes. 80 Days and yeah. Heaven's Vault, uh, you know, a developer that we are very, very into. But we've never, as far as I can recall, covered any of the sorcery games on the show. Um, but yeah, those are, those are classic game books. But if you want that game book flavor and you only right. have 90 minutes and you want a short game... Yes. Knights of San Francisco is reaching its hand and saying, come, come to me to dystopian, weird Transamerica building. Yeah, that, which is perfect for me. I have never had a, a real big desire to play those, uh, both the physical uh, game book games or even the, the um, digital ones. Uh, but this game was kind of what I hope everyone who has a great if comp game eventually does which is turn it into a super slick well-produced with fantastic crazy music app that you can play through and make it engaging and interactive like this this was such a cool next step for what was a really cool if comp game oh yeah i really enjoyed this and it was uh i I actually to some degree i wish there was more of it normally we're like these games are too long part of me was like I hope this is just like the first chapter or the first version of this. And there's going to be more because I enjoyed it so much and it actually felt too short in a couple of ways, but we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this game. Yeah. Looking at some the, the website and, and I subscribed to his uh, like newsletter and whatnot from uh, the developer, uh, Philip Hrachek. Um, he's been working on this as sort of a side project for many years and he's done a number of prototypes and things like that over the years. And it is definitely seems like something he's really uh, committed to. And I, I would be very surprised if this is, you know, the last thing we see out of e-game book and Rain Dead Games. I think we're uh, I think he's going to continue expanding on these things. Yeah. The system is so slick. It like, really is. Everyone needs to just copy this. I hope he makes more and makes a billion dollars off of it. And then I hope a bunch of games like this get made because this was a really cool uh really cool game and by everyone copy this maybe maybe you mean pay him for it use these tools of his <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah pay I, him I mean, for it some of this at least uh, is on github i i would love i don't know that this is like i I'm, I'm sure he's you know since he's launching this as a commercial product i'm sure this is I, I don't think this is something where you can just download it off of github and and make your own e-game book game or maybe it is i haven't really investigated that but um i would love to see him work with more 
yeah. folks to, you know, I, I, for example, like I think this would be a really, really great tool to convert existing, um, not just game books, but even just like D and D or other RPG, um, like one shots into this as a format. Oh, yeah. Like this felt to me like, a really like sitting down to a really good D and D one shot, um, you know, one player, but like if Shane were sitting down to like DM, like a weird little one shot for me, like this is exactly what it would be like. And I really, really dug that about. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about what makes this feel like a tabletop RPG. Uh, I want to say that in addition to having, uh, you know, the great interactive fiction you expect from a comp, we keep saying that it's like a tabletop or a book one, because there are a ton of choices. You do have things like stamina and sanity, you know, basically meters. And it also includes a combat system with odds. You were rolling kind of dice. In this one, it's like a like a sword with a thing around it. <laughs> it's a very cool animation, but it's impossible to describe. I love the very, very simple visuals. <laughs> Please try of... not to over-describe things for us, yeah. Laura. It, uh, sword with a thing around it. We don't need to get that it, it really. Let's <laughs> talk more about that sword with the thing around it, because I, mean, I think this is pretty cool. With no, any, but it is cool. With any game, like D&D, there's a reason people are obsessed with their dice right. in Dungeons & Dragons. Like I was literally... Moments before we recorded this, looking at a $40 set of dice on Etsy, like with my finger hovering over the buy it now button. So uh, like having a cool way of resolving those um, those little so kind of I percentile chances. actually cool. over describe this, I think, quickly. And that's that Please. each action you take has a little uh, progress bar around a circle about the odds you per- you are going to complete it. So if it's 75%, it's three quarters full. And then when you roll your dice, you have five dice, and the little pr- progress bar spins around a sword, and then the sword falls. And if it falls in the bar, you pass. And if it falls in the fail... It's a, literally a miniature wheel exactly. of fortune. And it's but very sword. clear yeah. and visual to you. And the sword, with a sword, which is absolutely cool. You know, because swords you are cool. You have to pass three <laughs> of five. Yeah, swords are yeah. cool. That swords are cool. You have to pass three Way of five. Way cooler than a progress. Like, progress bars <laughs> are okay. Swords are cooler. Put them together, though. Put them together. It's a great combo. <laughs> oh, it's just so clear. I knew exactly what it was doing. That's almost impossible. That's 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 really true. And the other thing about this is that it's simulating a lot more than a lot of these sorts of games, you know, game books or interactive fiction games do. I, as I was playing through this, it occurred to me, like, this is, I think, the first... Uh, system for interactive fiction and these this game and its predecessor we played in the comp many years ago are the the only games that I can really think of in terms of interactive fiction where I've really felt like I was engaged with the combat mm-hmm. most interactive fiction when you encounter combat scenarios it's multiple choice or it's uh you know put uh, item or weapon key into you know uh enemy lock and then unlock the combat and you're done and here it feels, and I mean, you know, a big part of the selling point for this game, if you look at the marketing that he's put out here for it, is that it is deeply simulated. So um, I, I think some of this, uh, some of this really carries through in the game, and, and other parts maybe slightly less so. But like the pitch on this is that uh, that this is uh, one of the things I saw in the in the marketing materials was like Skyrim rendered in text, which is I think a little bit overblown. But basically, like what he's getting at here is that this is a game that has a deep simulation system that just renders out to text where enemies have 
body parts. They have a stance. They have a position that they're in. Um, they have all of these simulated elements to the scene that you're in when you're engaging in combat. Uh, you know, not just like, uh, you know, a player character and enemy, which each have a health bar, but they have things like you can damage an enemy's limbs. Uh, you can damage uh, yeah. other stuff about, you know, there's there's quite deeply <sighs> simulated combat here, but it abstracts a lot of that away because you're choosing things like, am I going to, uh, you know, attack him with my weapon? Am I going to roll away, right, etc. Right, right. And when... Uh, but when you do that, it just sort of uh, reads you out some text describing the results. It's not something where you're like seeing a bunch of crunchy actions take place. You just get a paragraph of text that's generated by the system kind of describing the scene and what's happening, which I think is really, really, really well done. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the system. I thought they said Skyrim. I, I don't think that's actually giving it enough credit where Skyrim, you're just like, Everyone is just standing in front of each other, making the actions of combat while you read out like whether it hit or hits or not. It's not like they're actually dodging your attack or like you're actually hitting them in the arm. You're just like swinging in their general direction. And if you're close enough, it hits or not with this. It felt more like something like Breath of the Wild where <laughs> where uh, the the objects around are interactable. So you can uh you can purposefully choose to hit someone in the hand, which can make them drop their weapon. And then you can make the choice to pick up the weapon and hit them with it. Or one of the more fun things is you can chop off someone's leg and then maybe one of your companions, because there's an entire companion set up in this, will pick up that leg because they don't have a weapon and they'll start using that leg as a weapon. And it felt really interactive with what's whatever is in this area the combat is actually going to involve. And I also love no. one last point on the combat is that, or at least for me, is that it also, what I loved about it is it felt like uh, a really slick let's play D and D podcast where they cut out everything and trim every combat down to like two or three rounds and just do the important mm -hmm. stuff because everything, all of these fights, at least in my experience on this game, they feel more like a real fight because you really only get one or two volleys back and forth before something is dead. And it, and it feels like that's how it should be because it'll be like you stab them in the heart and they die. It's not like you stab, <laughs> them, in, you stab them in the heart and their HP has been reduced by seven <laughs> or whatever. Like it's all very literal. If you hit them, they're either going to be really maimed because you chose to hit them in the hand or the leg or whatever, or they're going to be dead because you hit them in the chest or the neck or something like that, and then vice versa. So I really – it actually made the combat feel a little more visceral, and the, and the luck element of it, the dice rolling, feel more vital because, mm -hmm. you know, in a D&D &D fight, like, you know, like – unless the fight's been going for a long time or you're particularly down on resources, like these are going to go for a while and anyone hits not necessarily going to end it. But this one, you just walk up and you just cut someone's head off on your first round. Given what you're saying there, Nate, about the, the fights being so quick and visceral, which I think they are, which I think is absolutely the best thing that this thing does in the fights. Like the funniest thing, and this is true in a lot of game books, but in this, it's the... You're, you're, you get in there and you're like chopping off arms and legs and then immediately you're picking up the item. It's like, oh, here's a leg. 
And that's where things start to really go weird because the the way that this game handles items is in some ways just hideously broken, in some ways like totally hilarious, and in other ways just like, you know, like really creative. So, but like, yeah, there's definitely some very bizarre results that you could start to get in in this game when when it's related to the item system. So we want to talk about I want to talk about that later though. My favorite is like the item pass around that happens after you have a fight where you kill like three things. And so it's like you pick up the left leg and hand it to whoever you pick up the right leg and hand it to whoever you pick up the <laughs> trident. And now you have a trident. And it's like, there's this little like loot swap that you have no control. No, you're just over. picking you're up ne- stuff and just, like passes it around. Really- it's like, dude, there's no <laughs> yeah, like, hmm, is a hatchet better than a dagger? It's like, well, he dropped a hatchet. You have a hatchet now. You're going to hold a hatchet. I, yeah, no choice. Sometimes there are items that the game seems to think are weapons, but were maybe not. Like I picked up uh, and killed people with a, a suit, like a, a suit of clothes that I was then using basically like it was a sword. Um, and, awesome. and just some strange I stuff. I put like on that the happens. suit, so yeah, I, I equipped I the suit too. as a as a weapon, the or not as a weapon, as a uh, as a armor or something. I think the, this uh, one of the touted features is that like everything is a weapon. You can pick up items, and they can, and it becomes a weapon. And I, I'm sure there are edge cases to that that don't work. But for me, I actually had some re- interesting serendipitous like moments that felt really smart. With that, for example, there was a part where I picked up a painting and used it as a sword. A shield. Not, me, not yeah. as a sword, as a shield. Yeah. And that felt great. Yeah. Like it was like, you know, made it made sense in the moment and it was it was cool. And I eventually discarded it, I think. But it was, uh, you know, it, it felt really cool, like as a little like simulation-y thing where like there's these items yeah. around yeah. that you can use in various ways. So, yes, it it has the potential to be broken, but it's cool. Yeah. And and there's special uses for some of those. Like the the pic the picture that you mention, um, if you fight a particular enemy, uh, it's like an undead and it sees its family in life in the picture and reacts to it. And if you go back to the village, the villagers are like, huh, that's a really nice painting. <laughs> yeah. You're just walking around. Like the the description of yourself, I, I had that same thing, Laurie. Went back to the town and you're like wielding a katana with a painting just like i guess just like mm-hmm. hung in front of you that is like around your neck or something and everyone reacts to it i also i love that they make a i, I have to imagine this was intentional because they make a deal make a point really early on about the katana being like a particularly powerful weapon and that's cool that's a cool like vibe for a game and i got the katana really early same and then like Three rounds later, I had replaced it for like a cool Mm -hmm. axe. Oh, that's funny. I kept the katana to the very end. I killed the end boss with it. I couldn't. I just auto swapped. It did. It just got swapped. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same problem. I wanted to use the katana more. One of my uh, companions got it in a fight. Somehow, I think I dropped it and my companion picked it up and then he had it for the rest of the game and i was like well that's cool i guess yeah you get the cool (laughs) weapon but i got you know a trident for a long time which was a lot of fun uh and yeah i I did not choose to not have the katana anymore and i did not choose for my companion to have it but uh it worked out so we're talking so much about the mechanics and we do need to eventually talk about the story of this game which is you know it's fun it's a bit light it's a 90 minute uh game but i i want to talk a little bit more about some of the the mechanics before we get the off setup that, and uh, presentation of the story is really cool. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Um, a couple, a couple more things about the like format and presentation. 
I absolutely love the way this game handles saving mm. and loading saves. It's so slick. So this game, mm-hmm. you know, is is presenting you text. It's continuing to add new text. And this is a small thing, but like the way that it presents new text is phenomenal. You've got this like skull button at the bottom of the screen that you click and it just advances the text one sentence at a, at a time. And I just I just loved yeah, the way that it's, worked. It's a different um, style to like the if you played 80 days, it's similar to that. I was going to say the same thing, Laura. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, very as mm-hmm. smooth as 80 days, which is a Absolutely. very high bar. Really is. Less visual, obviously. That game had a lot of like very yeah. fancy art. This is oh. all text or you know illustrations, occasional yeah. illustrations. Yeah, like comic book illustrations. Yeah, the illustrations are nice. But uh, but like what I was going to mention about the the saving and loading is that as you make choices, uh, you'll have these like light gray text as part of the scroll of of the of the story uh, that are your choices. And you can scroll back up through the story. I think pretty much unlimited mm-hmm. distance if you want. Um, so it you, cuts off at a certain point. I, you can't go all the way back to the beginning once you've had like several longish play sessions like I did. Well, for a phone game, I don't know what I'm describing as a longish play session. Yeah. But I did get you cut off at a certain from point. The yeah, I'm sure there's a limit. Gray text, but you can reset through the menus. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But like the, yes. the key thing here is that like anytime you make a choice, that becomes part of the sort of like scrolling record of your game that you can go back and read through if you want. And you can scroll back up, tap on any gray text that represents one of your choices and basically undo back to that point. Um, and I loved that because, it, you know, occasionally I would make a choice. I'd play through a few rounds. You know, maybe I did badly in combat or maybe it was something like I, you know, I just was curious about what an alternate path might have been. And this game is all about letting you very quickly experience the story you want to experience. If you want to roll back a save or something, it makes that very simple to do without wasting your time. I really, really, really like that yeah, about the interface. I think it's that great. the interface is one of its huge strengths because not only is the save super easy, but um, things like choosing uh, your actions is very easy you can always see Mm. the probability of something you can click on them and get more information about the item and how probable and probable it is this also extends to inventory where they've got this kind of tiered system where you can choose something you know one two three go make decisions in a, a sequence um all that's just very easy and intuitive it's not fancy and it's not clumsy it's just very straightforward and i really appreciate a straightforward interface because sometimes games get a little too cute and this one's just like nope it's about the story it's about the actions go yeah it really does doesn't look like a game if you were to just look at this it looks like you're maybe reading an article on the internet and there's some dots at the bottom of the screen so this is the sort of thing that like the presentation takes a back seat but when they do kind of make it come forward in the form of like pictures that they show you or the map or the, you know, the sweet skull at the bottom of the screen, or really the sound. Uh, I think that the, the way that they present that more, you know, uh, I don't know what you call that. The stuff that's not just the text. Uh, it, it really is the, done with care. The heads up interface. Sure. Is the HUD. Sure. That's you know, it's term. hard to think of. <laughs> it's like a book with a HUD. Yes. But so we've been, we were yeah. talking about the story, though. And it's funny, because I wanted to talk about a mechanic, <laughs> um, but I can't, because we actually haven't talked about the story. 
you're a necromancer. That is the Yay. best hook, honestly. It's such a good choice. Such a good choice. Yeah. Or a neck, as they are called in this a, world. A kind of a amateur or young necromancer, maybe an apprentice. A child. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of references to being very, very young. Yeah, so you're you're you do you remember, do we find out your character's name? Yes. Aaron. I think we do, but I might have forgotten it. Yeah, it's an A name. Yeah, Aaron, I think you're right. It's yeah. Yeah, A R E. Yeah, and so he he has come to San Francisco to search for his brother. Or she, you could choose and... your gender and yay. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and uh, and great. you can choose some other basic stuff about your appearance and stuff and it occasionally gets referenced. For example, Ooh. I I chose that I had yeah. a, a facial scar and that didn't exactly like alter the plot, but it it didn't mention it occasionally as part of the text when I was interacting with other characters, things like that. I chose yeah, the wooden leg or wooden foot. Yeah, I had a, wo- a wooden. Yes, foot as I well. also picked the wooden foot. So actually, Reagan, uh, I have a question for you. Then, so the three of us chose the wooden foot, and there's a scene. At least what happened for me at one point where your uh, wooden stump gets caught in a floorboard, and mm. it's a little it's a little tense. Uh, you might, you know, you think you're going to get jumped because of it. Was there any moment maybe when you were passing through a hallway that involved the scar on your face? That no stuff. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't ring a bell. I think the only things that the, the only times that the facial scar played in were occasionally when you're interacting with, with people in the town below the building, uh, it mentions the facial scar, people like looking away yeah. from you, that kind of thing. So uh, no 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 uh, no like as far as I could tell like combat relevant um, uh, disadvantages from the facial scar. Yeah, it wasn't this- actually con- like nothing actually happens from it, but there's like a moment where you're crossing through a hallway and you get stuck, and it's like, oh no, are you going to get out or not? You know. So, so this male or female maybe has a wooden stump, maybe has a scar, different hair colored person. Uh, you are trying to figure out what happened to your brother. Um, I chose for perhaps right. revenge purposes um, mm. earlier in the game. And you are in a thousand years in the future in uh, San Francisco. And all that really remains is that pyramid-shaped building. The Transamerica Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Golden Gate Bridge is there still, but it's overgrown. Ah, uh. Uh, they they do a couple references to some stuff in San Francisco, but mostly it's that. So really cool. They do a good job of 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 setting the the scene and everything. Yeah, the writing is really strong in this area. It feels really eerie. Uh, and now in this future world, uh, a thousand years from now, and it it is intentionally a thousand years from our world, as far as I could tell. There are references. Uh, to things that exist for us, including some modern technology and stuff that exists for us now. So it is it is our world. But there are also all these fantasy tropes. You've got you're mostly fighting goblins and orcs. Um, you know, the, you're a necromancer. The Trans-American Pyramid has become infested with goblins and orcs. Um, and you know that at the very top of it, there is you learn at the very top of it, there's another necromancer called Big O. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big o, big o name. and uh this is where you think your brother is the last known his now last known location was with the knights of san francisco a group of knights who have moved into the pyramid um in order to defend people in the nearby areas but uh the pyramid skyscraper is so big um uh, and the the threat of orcs is so great that those knights are now about to retreat and flee the the writing of the game including things like big o 
kind of made me think of the Fallout series and specifically Fallout New Vegas, where, uh, you know, utilizing buildings for different purposes are now being utilized by a new set of people or things in a in a totally different way or in this like strange apocalyptic hierarchy like i loved the setting of the pyramid because there's like different areas for different people to live in it and somehow like the top floor and the top floors are infested by orcs and goblins and the big o but then like the middle floors there's a little farming community and then in the middle bottom floors there's like a cult and people are farming off the side of the building which is a cool touch like it it really felt strange and uh, a unique setting for like essentially a dungeon crawl right you got to Mm -hmm. you know you're going into the tower and you're working your way up through the tower uh in order to find your brother and your intention maybe changes and grows as you continue through the tower. Yeah, it seemed like there's also been an effort to use the actual architecture of the building. Like I, I looked at some stuff up on Wikipedia and it looks like the elevator shaft is in the correct spot and like the the observation decks is on the right floor. Like he's act, like this seems like someone who um if haven't been to San Francisco, he has clearly looked up a lot of it. Yeah, I believe I believe he lives in I mean I don't I don't know this guy's biography exactly, but I I uh, I think he's um He's Czech and he's lived in, I think, the UK and now currently lives in San Francisco. Yeah. If I remember that, well, it's awfully specific. If, or something. if, but yeah, it's clearly local. like a building that he uh, he's like interested in, and it is a good fit for something like this. Something about a massive skyscraper pyramid, uh, you know, a thousand years after all the you know uh, modern people are dead, is a pretty good hook if you're building this kind of thing and um i i think it's it, the whole setup i think works well like if you if you were like pitching this as like a D adventure or something i think it's a it's a solid one um so you know i i liked the uh i like the setting quite a lot i want to kind of think about the the dungeon design uh that is this game because i kind of think this follows just really good D dungeon design right mm. you have a uh like a good DD dungeon has like certain attributes the first is when you get there there has to be a gatekeeper right um there's there's usually in dungeon design a reason that other adventurers haven't gone in here before right and in this case the gateway of the dungeon is really mm-hmm. you know getting up past those those lower levels uh of the uh of the pyramid, right? And it's the it's the threat of the orcs. And then, you know, when you when you get past that, then you usually have so at past the entrance or guardian, you'll usually have some kind of puzzle or role playing challenge. And here they kind of have both. They have um, the role playing challenge of finding your brother and like reuniting with him. Uh, they have a they have some puzzles. I, I didn't really figure out some of the puzzles. Did did either of you do anything productive with the North Skull? No, I was. I thought that was a really cool um, item and just concept. There's to kind of set that up. There's this. Uh, you find a weird magical compass uh, outside the uh, outside. If you engage in a particular combat mm-hmm. encounter, you kill a goblin and you get this bizarre stone that functions as a compass and always points towards the building. And in fact, it points towards a particular room in the building. And when you get there, you find a weirdly enchanted and augmented human skull 
that is, I guess, puzzle spoilers here, guys. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I guess that is that a puzzle spoiler? But I ran into that. I mean, it's an exploration uh, challenge, I but guess. Yeah, but yeah, like, but yeah, that's yeah, where I my interaction with that ended. That. I, I thought, I, like, this is a cool thing. Like, I found this weird enchanted skull. What do I do with it? And then I, it never came up yeah. again. Yeah, I, I need, I would like to figure out some something to do and i think in a lot of cases in in games like this um you really are exploring the content more so than you are like trying to complete it and uh so Mm -hmm. and a lot of the mechanics around are around giving you like chances to go back and, and experience things done in a different way like the the ui really provides you with that with the rollbacks but on top of that the way stress boxes work is very much kind of allowing you to redo roles. And most um, movies. So <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So you, you have your entrance. You have your entrance or your guardian. You have your puzzles yeah. and your role or your role-playing challenges. Then usually you're going to have some kind of um, trick or setback. I don't know if I really found that in this game. There's some setbacks like with your brother. But then, you know, some big climactic battle or conflict. I, I would say maybe the setback would be the the big orc that you you that you that you have to take on before getting to the climactic battle right mm. and then there's usually some kind of reward or revelation or twist at the end and that's like the basic structure that all D&D dungeons tend to follow um or you know sometimes you can blow that same structure out to campaigns but like those basic five things yeah <laughs> you know in a lot of movies too act, the end of the second act has to be everything sucks so that the third act is triumphant. Yeah, yeah. Well, mo- most uh, most movies don't tell you to stop until you uh, stop watching until you've solved the puzzle. But uh, true. Uh, <laughs> but apart from that, yes. Uh, but yeah. So like th- that. But that is definitely how this game book plays out. Like it is that same kind of kind of classic adventure design. So if you if you're into that kind of thing, uh, I think this does it really well. And I really liked uh, the ending. Uh, which I guess we won't talk about without a real hard spoiler break. Yeah. Before we do, I'll, I'll say another thing that made this feel more like a, a D&D one-shot or a D&D you know, tabletop game is that there was a lot of meandering into rooms that really didn't do anything. <laughs> like, that's not a thing I normally experience in interactive fiction. There were rooms that you just kind of went in and it was atmosphere. There were rooms you could look around, but th- currently at the moment there wasn't an enemy there. Uh, it felt like the enemies were tracked on their own systems and that they were in, going to do their own things. And I could walk yeah. into a room and they weren't there. It's great. I loved the map and yes. the in the hint and the system that the map deployed. I, I've talked in previous IFCOM games that I'm generally not a fan of parser games for a lot of reasons, I think they're awesome and I'm impressed every for, by anyone who can make those games. But for my enjoyment, I'm not a huge fan of them. And part of it is that like, I just am not great at the like personal map making of those games and things like that. And like keeping track of all that stuff. It's just not what interests me in those games. And so in a game like this, they have presented you a really cool map, which is basically a world map where you can see the tower and you can see a little bit in front of the tower and you can go to the map and you can see where you can go uh, every time you enter or most mm-hmm. of the time when you enter into a room, they will give you a description of the room and you may or may not unlock a description of the next place you can go to. And when you go to the map, there'll be a little line leading out from where you are to a room that has a big X on it indicating you've not been there. 
And once you go to it, it'll have a check mark. And then if you go back to the map, sometimes those rooms that had a check mark will switch to a little clock indicating that something in that room has changed since the last time you went there. And I think that's so cool. You still have to make the choice to go there and you have no idea what that change is going to be. Sometimes it's incredibly simple and it's like literally like, yeah, the last time you were in here, there were a bunch of alive orcs and now there's a (laughs) bunch of dead orcs and it's really simple like that. But then other times it's, a bigger difference and it's worth your time to check out. And I just, I really like in a game like this where it, it respects your time and you, you know, if you're going to backtrack, like at least there's going to be something there for you to look at and you don't really need to like something new and you don't necessarily need to just, uh, unpurposefully go back into rooms. Now there might be reasons you are choosing to go to a room because you think there might be, uh, something cool that's not necessarily indicated by that. But for the most part, like you're only going to rooms if you need to. And I just thought that was really cool. And it looks yeah, really I, nice. I'll yeah. say that I went back to rooms for two different reasons. And one was because the clock was there. And the second was um, just as you can't control what um, weapons you pick up, you also can't control who you're raising from the dead. So if you kill, if multiple dead bodies are there and you want to change bodies, you might just resurrect the same person. You just, switched out so i would i would go Uh, back to old rooms yeah dump my body get the new text and then go back and pick up the new body (laughs) of the better yeah we didn't mention that uh when we say you're a necromancer like literally that is a whole set of your skills is that you can raise a dead uh a dead thing and it will now be a part of your combat party and we'll take turns and we'll we'll Automat will run the full scripted thing. I know it's, we talked about companions earlier, uh, but almost always one of your companions is a dead thing. And one of the funniest little bits is when you try to uh, when you try to resurrect something in a room where there's nothing to res- resurrect, you resurrect a dead insect because according to the text, there's almost always a dead insect just sort of nearby. Uh, where, <laughs> wherever you are in the I love world, that. there's probably a dead insect around you. And it's like, that is probably true. Right now, within 10 feet of all of us, there's probably a dead bug. <laughs> I wound up wasting two of my necromancy charges, which are kind of your sanity mm-hmm. uh, pips, the little dots. I wound up wasting two of them, one on a fly and one on a bee. <laughs> I got a bee and an ant. Uh, yeah. I got a mosquito. Oh, maybe it was an ant. I definitely kept that bee around for way long. I kind of was like, What's the bee going to do? And the answer is nothing. The, I mean, the text nothing. even yeah. says this yeah. is useless, but that feels like a challenge, right? You're like, yeah. this cockroach, it yeah. says it's useless, yeah, but bit. maybe that's how you solve the puzzle. On the- I'm going to make some death honey. <laughs> I bet yeah. the, bad, maybe the big my- bad's allergic to bees. This will be the move. This will get <laughs> that would be kind of a sweet twist. I never went into combat with an insect. Does it just skip it? It um, doesn't do anything. Yeah. I don't think it's ever mentioned again. Um yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, you do get you do get some weird results like that. And I that's what I love about this kind of thing. Like it part of the exploration of a a game book like this is exploration of its systems. And um what's cool about this one is it takes those systems and it says, "Okay, you don't have to think about the like numbers or the roles or anything. It's all based on like different attributes you have or items you have." Um and even that is abstracted enough that, like, you pretty much can't, like, there's no interface to, at any point, like, pull up an inventory. 
uh, of a the weapon inventory. You, you do have items, but you can't like choose your weapon. You do have a button to bring up items, but most of the items you're carrying are like weapons food. like that painting, it's right? Or food or, right. food, or yeah. legs of enemies that you've severed. And all that stuff is hidden. Yeah. I would have I would have really liked it if there was some way for me to look at all the items that I had um and choose to drop like maybe f- maybe all but one of the severed legs would be fine. <laughs> um and I you know, I feel like one's enough. I think I think I severed a lot less legs than you guys. <laughs> My go-to move was to faint uh, get them off balance, knock them to the ground, and then just stab them. <laughs> like that was my go-to. You know, I did oh, the I exact same so many thing. Necks. I, I broke so many necks. If you get, if they're on the ground and you're on the ground, you can crawl over and break their neck. Uh, and that was a great killing blow. Yeah, I, I think those things had th- this like lack of choice. I think had to be an intentional thing for brevity and for simplicity. And I think it's our natural feeling in anything that's even remotely an RPG where you're like, I want, give me those stats. Let me see my character sheet. Let me know is the sword, is the katana plus three and is the trident plus two, but maybe a little bit longer range. You know, you want to know all these things. And I think the the game designer is trying to tell you, don't, don't worry about it. Just... Just move on. Don't think about it. Uh, just play. Just read the story. The only time I was like frustrated was when you can't. There are multiple dead bodies in the room, and you can't decide which dead body you're trying to resurrect. And I, I, I just thought that was funny because I just kept going back to, or I would, I would have to keep rolling back because I was wasting all my sanity charges trying to get a specific dead body off the ground. Yeah, you try to like imagine what you're actually doing. You're like raising a dead body I'm like, oh, i don't want that one all right let's go to the other room i'm gonna dump you yep. off in the floor over here so i can go back and raise the guy that i wanted to raise but i don't think it actually matters who you raise it's just no thematic, i i just right? felt like, bad because i went to the shop and the shopkeeper was like please stop hauling around my dead son and i was like okay and then i dropped him well, and then i act like and i was like cool i'll resurrect this other dead body <laughs> dropped him resurrected someone else and it was like you've lifted his son up again in front of his face <laughs> Gotta say, reasonable request. Yeah. You know, like I'm on the side of the shot. Right. In that, in but that. It, hilariously, he told me to do that. I was like, great, there's another dead body here. I dropped his son off cool, and then I dump. lifted his son back up again. Like it felt like I was taunting the poor man. <laughs> oh, you you don't want me to ne- uh, revive your, de- your dead son here? I'll just dump his body here on the floor of your shop. I, I dumped him on the floor of the shop and then I resurrected him again instead of the orc that was next to him. <laughs> Yeah. Torturing the yeah, man. That's yes. Fun. I'm sure that mm-hmm. yeah, he's having a good time. Uh, yeah, there were a couple things that uh, I, 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 that's why I was saying at the beginning that I hope this gets expanded because there were definitely some things that I wish there was just more of. Uh, I thought combat was really, really easy. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I never got hit. I never died and I never got hit. And I don't know if that was just, I got really lucky mm. in this game or uh if you guys had different outcomes with com- combat i definitely missed like you you make your choices and i missed on attacks and sometimes rounds went longer but i never took damage and i was i don't even know how damage works you know, I, I definitely I, I, took uh, damage but i never uh, i never really felt so 
I, probably my one complaint about the game is that like I think the combat is very interesting and I would have liked it to be a little more in depth and a little harder. Um, yeah. And a big part of that was just like it, it just like Laura was saying earlier, um, at some point I realized that if you faint at the beginning of combat, which basically means, you know, you, you know, you're fainting, a, pretend you know, faking a, um, uh, uh, exactly. Yep. Then, uh, that would throw off the stance. Uh, and that was an easy thing to do. It had like a 75% success rate. Um, that would throw off uh-huh. the stance of your opponent. And that meant that your next attack was like pretty much a sure thing most of the time. And that applied all the way up to the big bad at the top. Like the very last combat I had was a one hit kill basically. And that was because I fainted. He lost his stance and then I stabbed him in the belly and he died instantly. And I was like really expecting for that final combat at the very least, I was expecting something a little more challenging. Um, But if anything like this, this game, it's like, it's deeply simulating, but you're also, I feel like your, your main character is if not, OP, you're definitely like there are certain strategies that become apparent very early in the game that are completely OP. Yeah, your your character is a necromancer, but I burned through all my necromancy like very, very quickly. And by the end of the game, I was just grabbing any weapon and uh, absolutely annihilating my opponent immediately with it. Yeah. I never had a, a companion get hurt. Oh, I, never I had two of my companions died. <laughs> uh, I had several, several. I kept picking them up and dropping them off. Like they would die. And That's all, why you had the tons dead of them son. That makes sense. Okay. See, I never had it. I literally, there was never a moment of stress for my character in this game. And I also never bothered to develop a combat strategy. I was just like, <laughs> this looks fun. I'll try this move. I'll try this move. And I still never got hurt. In fact, I, one thing that's really cool that I like uh, in the, there's an extras tab on this game and there's a combat random combat simulator and you can, you can play it and it just drops you into combat with a random enemy, which is a very unique feature for a mm-hmm. text-based game to have. Right. I, I don't think I've seen one with anything yeah. even close to that. I thought that was, was very weird. Really cool. And in that random simulation, I, it was the only combat I had that went more than like three rounds and I actually got stabbed in the leg. And I was like, that was interesting. Like I had to, you started the fight without a weapon and the orc had a weapon. And so you had to actually like get the weapon from the orc and we went back and forth and it was something like seven or eight rounds. And it was the most challenging fight I had in the entire game was this little random simulated game I played in the extras. There was never a moment of pain, stress or like, discomfort with the power of the character for me. And it's also funny because you're supposed to be a kid. So I thought it would have been really cool if this was actually really tough, especially with such a real easy, Mm -hmm. uh, like revert, you know, like if you die, it Uh I don't know. I know, but like, I, it seems like it would take like two seconds to go back in time. Why not spruce up the combat a little bit more, make your character actually feel underpowered because they do such a good job of presenting these orcs as scary and powerful and, and the goblins are scary and powerful. Like these, these knights are leaving this whole army of like grown people are abandoning because they can't deal with the stress and the fear of these goblins and orcs. And you're a child and there's no reason other than being a necromancer. You're just like the most buff child. You're so strong. You're obviously the chosen one. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And you're like, you uh, there are a couple of fights that did get good for me. I I, okay. I had a good experience. So what when a kind of combat system like this is working well, it's asking you to do something before you get into that like lethal range, right? The the game basically starts you off in all these kind of fights with like goblins and orcs. Um, you mostly those are just the filler enemies, and they you mostly have to. All you have to do is throw them off a, a little bit in literally any way. But did you guys have that fight with mm-hmm. the Birdman in the business suit with the with the? Yeah, so that yeah, fight that actually great. played out pretty pretty well for me. Like, and then there was another fight against a Lizard Man that you had to kind of chase out of a. That one was probably the best fight mechanically in the game because in order to, um, kind of even start getting into close combat with that lizard man, you had to interact with the environment to kind of drain the water around him. And that is what I really want to see more of in kind of this kind of, this kind of game, like treat the, treat the, the stuff around combat as a, as part of it, right. As part of the combat itself. The lizard man one was cool. And I also really loved the, the bird man fight because one, just the setting was cool. And then two, uh, you're like, you have all these dialogue options in the middle of the fight. And that yes. was really cool. That felt like, like a John Wick scene. A Hawkman you know? mercenary. I was like super into it. Again, that said, yeah, that said, I still, you know, I think it was two rounds of combat, two, two action decisions for me before he was dead. But, it, and I, and I understand I might have just gotten really lucky. This is a random number gener- generation game, so maybe I just rolled it really well. But it sounds like you guys also have never really faced any stress. So I was like, it would have been, been really cool if that fight was really hard, not just thematically awesome. It was a cool, like, I loved the dialogue yeah. that you were giving. I had kind of wondered when I was playing through this game, like, I think, like, like Nate, I got that. Um, katana really early and i just wondered throughout the game like am i one-shotting these guys because i've got the katana and i no. i'm kind of glad to hear that's i mean that's not it like it that would have been a little cool and like i did you know i i did sort of do a couple of little minorly creative sidetracky things in order to pick up that katana and then i did keep it throughout the game um but yeah it was See, like, i it's I'm torn on it though. Cause earlier in this episode, I talked about how much I loved the brevity of the fights, you know? So I liked how, like uh-huh. how vicious it was. I, w- I would have liked them to I- be more like, I, because you could say like reload. If you screw up, yeah. I would have liked to screw up more. I would have liked mm-hmm. to been yeah. killed. Uh-huh. I'd like more That's text I mean. describing my, my poor necromancer's body being torn Absolutely. apart. by orcs. I wanted the Hawkman to throw me off of the, <laughs> Oh yeah. Step on my neck, daddy. You know what I mean? Like, so- <laughs> That's what you're asking for. <laughs> there, yeah. Step on me, Hawk. Uh, there were three fights in this game that I thought were really good examples of like how you do good fights, right? Uh, there was the fight against the undead where you really use Lady the, Hope. Uh, kind of improvised weapon. Yeah, la- la- I forgot her name. Lady, what is her name? I think Lady Hope. Lady Hope? Lady Hope. Yeah. Yeah, that fight was really cool because of the use of the of the the painting that came up for a couple of us. Uh, the Hawkman was cool because it incorporated a lot of dialogue, and then the Lizard Man fight was really cool because it used used like different locations and the environment. Uh, what I'd like would be if you know, apart from maybe your Goblin fights or whatever, if all the fights had all those elements, you know, all those different ways to interact with it, 
And on top of that, in order to experience that, I, you know, ki- kill me in a bunch of different ways so I can so I can read Daddy. so that when I do have to roll back, mm-hmm. you know, I experience the fight in a different way. Right. Um, and I see different paths through it. So so I think the system here is really intriguing. And I just want I just want more. Well, density. and it's, that to me is a yeah. tabletop thing, too, because uh, if you know, as a DM, Shane, if you have seen that we have these go-to tactics that we use in every fight, you throw people at us that won't work. Yeah. Like, maybe it's someone who's too clever to be fainted against. Like, that's the kind of, like, you start uh, countering your players' go-to moves. And I think that's something that I'd like to see this evolve to. Like, you know, just it's just a variety of different um enemies that maybe are impervious to certain tactics like that would be really fun where it says this is pretty probable but then you're like oh no you didn't know that i guess it's a fairness question it's like you know did you not know this person was unable to be poisoned for example yeah maybe it's overcomplicating it but it it would feel more challenging and and make me use more tactics than my tried and true yeah so Apart from all the combat and all of the the story, I, I we haven't really talked about. I know we talked about the presentation, mm. but we haven't really talked about the music yet, which I think is really deftly uh, done here. It's not exactly responsive to your actions. At first, I thought it was because there were a couple of serendipitous moments where, like, it did a really cool track change just as I was entering combat or something. And I, after playing it a while, I'm pretty sure it basically has like a a selection of uh, like a playlist of five tracks that it cycles through as you're playing. It might be five. I, I might have miscounted, but but they're really good tracks. Goes um, real hard, really guys. Well chosen. Yeah, it's it really it's really. I was Sweet. not expecting it. There's a song. There, there, there. Uh, one of the songs makes me think of like the hives or like early white stripes, and then there's like crazy. You know, your standard sort of EDM video game music thing going on it, it go it's way more intense than you would expect there's like there's like a there's like also like a mellow like uh lo-fi hip-hop like vibes to study to yeah, kind of there's thing. like a trap yeah. yeah i could see like in the in the ruins of post-apocalyptic seattle like the 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 bards would play garage rock like it's just yeah. a fact san francisco but yes so that's what i meant san francisco yeah there's a uh there's a playlist on on uh there's a playlist on Spotify. I believe oh, it's called perfect. Lo-Fi Hip Hop for Ghosts. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that, it, that, that one track made me think of that. The first three sentences of the App Store description are, things to know before you buy. This is a short game, about 90 minutes. The background music is anything but medieval. This is by design. And I think those are the two things that we first reacted to. I mean, someone just popped in Discord and said, this music does not have to go this hard. It really does not. Uh, I, I really wanted to like drop some sounds, some songs from this game uh, into the uh, into the episode. And I'm afraid I won't be able to do that probably. It, um, they have not published a like a soundtrack for the game. And I hit up the developer on on Twitter, and uh, basically, he went through one of these services that will like license uh, license music. Um, so, I think the key thing here is like uh, these are songs that are well chosen. Uh, these are you know they're they're uh, not not music composed specifically for this for this game, but they're really well chosen stock music that gives it a vibe that does not fit the expectations. Like it defies your expectations for a D and D style experience, and yet really vibes 
um, while still being diverse. Like there's, there's, you know, four, five or six tracks or whatever it is here. And uh, every one of them was enjoyable to listen to and really, I don't know, really worked. So I, I, I think it, it's a really big success here. Um, sort of the, the um, uh, juxtaposition of the, fantasy setting although obviously of course it's like a post-apocalyptic far future fantasy uh with the sort of very modern feeling soundtrack it's a it's really it's really it's a good. nice way to a communicate really, really well future done. world that feels medieval world like it's a nice way to bridge that gap to me yeah and i i definitely left this game open on its like title screen or you know mid game just to like listen to a track a little bit while i had to like pause the game to go do something else, you know, just kept the game open to listen to the music a little bit because it's good. It's really good music. It's well done. So we're close to an hour. Uh, so we want to keep this a little bit short, but uh, this is the first time we've had Nate back for a full episode in a little while. And I thought it'd be fun for us to check in with a what's making you happy this week. Uh, I, can, I can go first because uh, mine's pretty short. Um, my car died recently. That's not the happy part. Um, but uh, after a bunch of... Uh, you know, it, complex crap. Uh, I am now the owner of a brand new white minivan. Hey. <laughs> Ooh, so you can abduct children in it. Upgrade. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's definitely the kind of thing where it's like, uh, yeah, perhaps not everyone in the world would be excited and pleased to be buying uh, a, a two, 2021 uh, Toyota Sienna. But let me tell you, uh, it, first of all, buying a new car, like a new new car, that's not something I, I got to 35. I'd never done that before. Never bought a brand new car before. Um, and so that was that was interesting. And it's so nice to have a brand new car. And uh, it's nice to be able to get my kids in and out of it with the sliding doors. It's it's all of Toyotas the stuff are nice, man. man. Yeah, it's nice. You know what you should do. You know, what you should do with that white car is you should paint it. Hawaiian shirt pattern. I think that would be perfect for you. <laughs> I'm looking into getting wood panel stripes along the sides. There you go. You know I need ah, We had one of those at our Suburban and oh, <laughs> growing yeah. up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a good look. I've always wanted uh, a wizard on the side. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a wizard. I There was a, a person I worked with that uh, had a – they drove a Veloster. It's a um, – A Velociraptor? Well <laughs> – Yes. So the name of the car is a Veloster, and I, th I think it's a Nissan, but it was this cool, crazy orange. And across one entire side of it was like the skeletal figure of a Velociraptor in black. And it was. That's pretty wild. rad. Yeah. Well, so that's what's making me happy this week is I have wheels again, and they are marginally nicer than my old wheels that were 14, Ample storage space. 14 years old. I believe I had a I had a Kia Rondo that lasted forever. So uh, it's nice to have a new new baby, new car. Nice. Uh, I'll tell you something that's cooler. That's making me happy this week. <laughs> um, Excuse me. Wow. Jeez, that is burn. Crazy. The Toyota is very cool. Toyota is a nice it's very car. Cool. And I hope okay. you load those Same. kids up in it and drive down and see me soon. But yeah. uh, the uh, the my my. My vibe this last few weeks has been Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, this came out March 26th. And um, as soon as I realized that a bunch of my friends were playing it, I, I jumped right on board because uh, this is my second Monster Hunter game. I think this is true for a lot of new fans of Monster Hunter. They started with Monster Hunter World. Um, 
And this is this is this game just sings, man. Like I don't I don't know how many of you out there I don't it's hard for me to get into like what makes Monster Hunter cool. It is a game with like you know, many many years of history and like across those many years they've basically only added things and practically never taken them away. Like the the Monster Hunter series um is just systems on systems on systems. Um, but what they do have is a game that is, you know, you can just, you can just drop from one monster hunter game right into the next. And like your favorite weapons are still going to play about the same. And, you know, there's going to be new monsters to fight and new things to do. And the, the game is made like they, they've filed off all the rough edges. Like people said that monster hunter world took this like super complicated, super systems driven, like, you know, just weird boss battle game and like made it the most accessible it has ever been. I will tell you now it is even more accessible with Monster Hunter Rise. And then there's this whole new thing that I just absolutely love, which is the introduction of these weird bugs. Oh my gosh, they give you so many new things. Okay, so new stuff, new stuff, (laughs) super cool new stuff. One, you have a dog. You've always had a cat. I don't know when they added oh, the cat. But you had a cat. Now well, you can have a cat and up. a dog. And the dog, <laughs> you can ride like a horse, which makes you able to get around the levels much faster. You can get back into the fight much, much faster riding on your Palamute. And then the other new thing is called a wire bug. And these are like bugs that you can use to like uh, make ropes that let you swing around like spider-man and also you can use special attacks with them to like wrap up the uh um the monsters and then ride them so that absolutely rules um and then and then on top of that you also have like some a lot of just a ton of little quality of life things like uh like you have a a pet bird that will find the monsters for you. So you could just get into the fight a lot faster because you don't need to explore around as much to find them. Um, just so many nice, so many niceties in this. Like you could just get to any point on the map just instantly. If you have any Im- inclination, um, playing this game online with friends is an absolute ton of fun. I'm hoping to do so after we, after this call, get back on Monster Hunter. So uh, not a short game, but a really good one. Awesome. I, That's awesome. I, I, I decided to sit this one out, um, even though I'm really, really interested in, like, I really enjoyed Monster Hunter World, um, but I, I'm sitting it out just because I do not have time for Monster Hunter in my life right now, because it was quite a hobby when World was out, and I just, you know, it's too complicated of a time. For, I am the most casual of casual players here. I have a friend who's Hunter rank, like, 150, like, literally 150, Jeez. and I was Jeez. at three. And the the thing that is cool, though, is they have it set up so that, like, no matter who you're playing with, like, there are incentives, even for the 150 person to play with me, the level three person. So uh, the, the game is set up for fun and and fun online play where, like, even as a newbie, I don't feel like weird to be in the in, you know, like I'm dragging people back or are or, or excluded for that reason. So very, very cool. good. I'd love to be at the production meeting where they're like. You know, one person was like, hey, I know we're the game with cats. And like, that's a big part of our, our brand, our brand. But what about stay with me on this one? Dogs. <laughs> I mean, like half the room was like 
no, fuck you. We're, <laughs> we're the cat game, you know. And half was like, finally. I, th- I think the determining yeah. factor is someone's said, you know, the cat's not going to let you ride. And it's like, yeah, the cat's not going to let oh you ride God. him. No. <laughs> No, no, we got to go with the dog if we're going to ride. And can you pet the dogs? Yes, you can pet the dogs. And then everyone just burst out into applause. If you're making a game in 2021 and it doesn't have a dog that you can pet on it, you're literally missing out on a marketing opportunity. Mm -hmm. Just put a dog in there that you can pet and you're going to get like 5%. Stick it in the menu. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll go. So um, as... Uh, the world has slowly been opening up. I have been, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have been vaccinated for a little while now, and a lot of my friends are. So I've been able to participate in a couple uh, actual social gatherings, which is just, it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> but um, one thing that I, I want to call out that's been, I've been doing this for a while, but we've been able to bring it back and it's been fun is that if you're going to do any, this is a recommendation for good times. Okay. If you're going to do any sort of social gathering that maybe will be for an extended, either for like a full day or full evening or like a weekend, create a group Spotify playlist mm-hmm. or whatever your service is. And then spend some time leading up to that where everyone can add whatever music they want to add to it at the event, put it on. Put it on shuffle, and then there's a rule. At least we have the rule. No skips. And you just put it on and just see what happens. And it's a great sort of like just fills the gap of things too, you know, when like a good song comes on or something you've never heard before or, you know, everyone puts like their own, you know, like ours is you can't not have the monster mash on your playlist you know so there's always going to be a time when the monster mash comes on and it's like doesn't make any sense but it's great so it's been a lot of fun i um i was able to go fishing with a couple of my friends and we created a fishing playlist for the fishing times and it was a great mix of every song we could think of that involved language around fish (laughs) And then also just like songs that we enjoyed, you know, so uh, just recommendation that we've been doing for a little while and it's a lot of fun and add just like another layer to whatever it is that you're going to be doing with your, your friends or family. And you can kind of create the, the playlist kind of becomes a time capsule of like what you were into at that time. And it can be kind of fun to go back and listen to that playlist at a different time. And yeah, it's, it's like the many cds burned for specific car trips exactly um, yes that you listen exactly to it and you're like ah oh, yes i made that to go to the beach with rob in 1999 <laughs> yes and i was i was also really into the monster mash at that point too monster mash forever <laughs> that song is you know it's funny like i literally just uh cleaned out i cleaned out this car that we'd had for 14 years and and found like cd binders <laughs> in there that's awesome and they were a bunch yeah. of bird cds and we're uh, we're in the process of going through and deciding what to throw out but uh, uh all of it just throw it all out. oh we, you know we found stuff. some we found some joanna newsome cds in there that i was like man i haven't listened to her in a little while because yeah. she's not on spotify because she's got a principled stand against spotify and so we were just in our uh in our house like it was like 2004 listening to uh cds on our bose wave radio with built-in cd player and it was like man i mean it's a throwback but it was fun guys for our six 
month anniversary, Justin gave me a six pack of Shinerbach beer and a mix CD. He had apparently been working on it <laughs> since oh he God. met me, and it was going to be like a three month anniversary, but he, oh. he didn't finish it, so it ended up being six month. And it the CD just had like in his little head, right, like a like a child drew it, like a heart on it, like around the the CD opening. And I held oh. on to that for years and years and years. And when we moved, I was looking and I was like, where is it? And I, I'm pretty sure it made it to New York, but like part of my heart is like, where is that CD? Oh no. <laughs> It'll turn up, Laura. Don't we'll worry. We'll find it. But I, it's because we put it in a safe spot. Like we put it mm. in like, this goes in the memorabilia box. And did we look at that box later and be like, ah, this is junk. Like, that's my fear. But um, I, I hope that CD is around somewhere. I'll, I'll find it someday and cry. That's, so that's the plan. I'm just saving it for like 10 years later when I open an okay. unmarked box. There you go. Um, yeah. But what's making me happy this week is. Yes. Is uh, it's not having friends, but it is going outside. So um, I have been trying to go on walks my neighborhood and you know it, it's i live in a very busy part of new york city it's beautiful but there's just a lot of especially now with the open seating there's just so many people drinking in bars outside and it can be a lot if you've been inside so much so i tend to look up and around and at the buildings and there's gorgeous old buildings i have no idea what's going on there so i got a book that is clearly for tourists called Walking Broadway. And it is just the entire stretch of Broadway, all the way from the bottom of New York, all the way through Harlem. And it just describes Hmm. all the buildings on it. So it's just a walking tour of going in a straight line. And uh, we've started taking this. We took it to Old Navy. (laughs) Like, we're going to go to Old Navy. (laughs) We have to go to Old Navy to get some (laughs) Java pants, boxers, and athleisure wear. And on the way, we're going to look at all the buildings on Broadway up. And so we just walked around Union Square. We found um, the, uh, you know, we know we live near the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, but we were walking past. We're like, oh, that's a, that is like a tenement building. And over there, that was, that was a cold that's cool. <laughs> so if you're not in a city, like I do encourage you to get some kind of architecture book. That's just a walking tour of a neighborhood. You think, you know, well, because you're going to find a lot of new stuff. There's also just an app called uh, inquire. And I think you have to probably at this day and age search inquire Wikipedia around you that just um, takes it looks at Wikipedia for your location and just plots on the map everything with a Wikipedia article around it. I mentioned it once for a road trip, but it's very handy if you look at something and it has like 1839 on its edifice. <laughs> it looks like it might be old. I tend to open this up and go, is that a thing or is that just an old building? <laughs> And half the time, it's like Edgar Allan Poe yeah, died there. I, oh. I was one of the last. <laughs> I was one of the last people to uh, abandon using, um, uh, what was the app? Foursquare. Yeah. I was one of the last people off of Foursquare. You were the mayor for this of so many things. I was. I was the Foursquare mayor of a lot of places I frequent. <laughs> I probably still am. Apparently, a block. I mean, that's how I learned my building that I live in was Ross's apartment on friends was using that app Oh, funny and also that <laughs> across the street is apparently one of the largest socialist and communist libraries in the united states 
Hell yeah. <laughs> which I can't go to because I'm not an academic, which feels anti-communist. <laughs> that literature is for everyone. For the people. For <laughs> but it is really nice if you're trying to go outside and go on walks and you're finding stuff to be pretty repetitive. Like, See if there is a walking tour you know, even some terrible influencer online is a walking tour of your neighborhood. It's just another way to see the city that you think you know well. Well, um, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. That's where you'll find all of our links, like a contact form to let us know what you think of the show or suggest games if you want to write us an email style uh, thing. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, and that's a great way to suggest things or let us know what you think. Uh, also, this would be a great time to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, those help folks find the show. And uh, we go through phases where we get a ton of reviews and then we get none for months. This is seems to be common with podcasts. And I don't know. It's like the weather. It, it's weird. Uh, we haven't had a, a review in a little while, and we would very much like you to leave one if you have a minute. Um, I know that uh, Apple Podcasts has switched up their algorithm a little bit. Uh, so we'd love to get you to write us a review there if that's a platform you use or if you use some other platform uh, and it offers the option to leave a review. It's a great way to support the show without costing you a dime and we would really appreciate it. Um, also share the show with your friends on social media or in person if you know folks who like games uh, or if you're suggesting a game to some to a friend and you know that we've covered it, uh, tell them we've got an episode on it and we would really appreciate that help. Um, also, uh, you can find us on Patreon. So the very best way to support the show is to go to patreon.com slash the short game and you can uh, for a dollar a month or up support the show and get immediate access to our discord. And we plan the show on discord. We chit chat on discord. It's the chat that makes this show run. So if you would like to join us there, we would love to have you um, patreon.com slash the short game. Uh, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Reagan K that's R A Y G A N K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. And listeners, once again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.